Morning, church. Appreciate it. Y'all doing good? I got to tell y'all, this is, this is the third set of clothes I've had on this morning. Isn't that ridiculous? I, two weeks ago, I knew I was going to be gone for two weeks, and I was just going to get home in time to go to bed last night and just come to church this morning. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to get some clothes ready to wear. So I know all I have to do is roll out of bed, get clean, and get dressed, and I'm in business. So I did all those things, and I went over to where I had laid my clothes. And somehow, in the two weeks that I was gone, with nobody in my house, a stain got all over the shirt I had laid out to wear today. And it was just an unfortunate stain, so I had to get rid of that. Then I had another calamity when I put on a second set of clothes. And so number three here. I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but I just think that's worth sharing with you. Um, <laughs> I guess the question that crossed my mind is, you know, am I going to end up preaching in shorts? Because that's all I got clean. That's it, you know. And, um, <laughs> and I was close. I was real close. And I remember this. I found it. It was in my clothes you don't wear unless you got to section. And, um, here they here they are, you know. So, But uh, it reminds me of another time when I wasn't sure how things were going to end up because I've got these buddies I always go fishing and camping and hiking with. And um, when I say fishing, camping, hiking, I don't mean like pulling up to a state park and, you know, sleeping 10 feet from your car and then driving to a pond. And I mean really hiking, really camping, like out in the woods, you know, hiking along a trout stream and, and camping in the middle of nowhere. So that's what we were doing. And when you're out there in the middle of nowhere, you never know what you're going to run up against. And one time in particular, we came to a spot along the stream, and it was kind of wide, and you were up on a ridge, and the only way to get across was just a log that it looked like somebody about 10,000 years ago laid across this stream and it's just laying across there and it's about yay wide and you got to get across that thing to get to the other side and you know it's only probably like a 15 or 20 foot drop so it's not like you know you're going to have a broken arm or something if you fall but what you are going to have is wet clothes to hike in for the rest of the day and that's just no bueno man you don't want to be hiking in wet clothes all day long so i just kind of stand back my mom taught me when i was little a rural proverb it goes like this, the second mouse gets the cheese. And so as often as possible, you're going to see me being the second mouse. I mean, every time, man, I'll always watch and see what sort of problems others run up against. And then I will do things safely, you know, the smart way. So I just kind of stand back and watch. And the first one up is my buddy Ben. And Ben's from California. Ben is the closest thing to certifiably crazy that they let run around loose. You know what I'm saying? That's Ben. And so he comes up to it, and he just runs across the log. Full-on sprint, backpack, fishing pole, hiking stuff. He's just sprinting across the log. And he gets across it fine, and I'm okay. Well, looks like Coat's going to be the third mouse, because I'm watching somebody else after that. So then here comes Kurt. And Kurt takes the exact opposite approach. Kurt creeps up to the log, and as soon as he gets to it, he just drops to his knees. And then he grabs hold of the log, and he just kind of like hugs it the whole way across, man. Just holding it like this and crawling across the log. 
And so I just stand over and kind of scratch my head a little bit. Because I've got two examples I don't want to follow, man. I mean, one looks dangerous, and one just looks ugly, you know? And so it's like, man, you've you got to find your own way across this thing. And so I just, I took my own path. I ended up just to let you off the hook. I just walked across it um, slowly with my fishing pole as kind of a little help to balance me. And I, I made it across. But sometimes don't we find ourselves in a position where we're stuck in one place and we've got to get to another place and there's just this pressing question, how are we going to get there? You know that feeling? I think we kind of felt it on the youth trip yesterday as we were coming back from South Carolina and two different times we got stuck in standstill traffic for like an hour and a half. Two different times. It was miserable. How are we going to get across this traffic? How are we going to get from point A to point B? And our point A as a church is this. Point A is we're at the place, not necessarily in our church, but in the church we're going to talk about today. They're at the place where they have become confused. They have become invaded by false teachers. They're at this place where there's all kinds of questions about what is the true gospel How do I live out the true gospel? What are the implications for the true gospel in my life? Where are we as a church? That's where they are. And Paul wants to get them from this place of confusion, this place of deception, all the way over to this place of being firm and steadfast in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's happened is this. In the church of Colossae, Paul didn't plant that church. I don't know if you realize that or not. But the guy who planted that church is a fellow named Epaphras who comes up in the first chapter of Colossians. And what had happened was that Paul had sent Epaphras, his brother whom he probably met while in prison, he sent him to plant this church. And so he entrusted him with the gospel message. He entrusted him with apostolic authority. And he said, Epaphras, you've got all our trust. Go and plant this church. and You can do it. He does that. And he gives them the truth. He gives them the true word of God. And then... Several years later, false teachers start to creep in. And these false teachers were of a couple of different kinds. First of all, the Judaism that was being practiced in Colossae was kind of like a magical, mystical version of Judaism. And so what they believed was that through these rites of passage, like circumcision, some sort of like a magical thing would happen where you all of a sudden have this knowledge that sets you apart from this merely earthly existence kind of like a and this this magical mystical experience is mediated by angels so it's kind of this weird thing going on with the judaism in that area second the false teachers influenced by that false teaching in judaism started to teach that there's this division between what is earthly and what is spiritual and so anything you can see feel touch hear smell is bad and the real stuff is the spiritual realm so there's this division that's going on and so paul's thinking i need to get these people from this place of confusion lies deception over to this place of walking the truth living the truth understanding the true gospel of jesus christ and so that's what paul's trying to accomplish in this passage in colossians chapter 2 Starting in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. 
When you get there, say, got it, coat. Hey, that's good. That's fast. It's a whole lot faster than the elementary school kids I've been hanging out with. So, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to take it section by section and try to determine what message Paul has for us today in light of what he says to the Colossians here. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. First thing we need to catch is this deal of walking in Christ. If you look in verses 6 and 7, what we're hearing here is that we need to walk in Christ. And obviously that doesn't mean, you know, we're going to find Jesus and like walk around. And I mean, no way. But what we do need to do is make ourselves at home in Christ. Somebody asks you, where is home? The answer needs to be Christ. Because here's the deal. Has anybody ever been trout fishing? Just speaking of fishing, anybody? Trout fishing. They're the spookiest fish you could ever try to catch. I mean, they will just evacuate the premises with the tiniest little stimulation in their environment. I mean, they freak out easy. And so what you have to do if you want to catch a trout is you have to become a part of their world. Like, you can't be an intruder. You can't be just something that's there all of a sudden. You have to be still, be in their world, be a part of the stream, and then once they're accustomed to your being there, you can begin to maybe catch a trout, unless your name's Coat, and then you still don't catch any trout. (laughs) But that's what you have to do is become native to their world. And in the same way, we have to become native to Christ. We have to become familiar with Christ. It can't be that we just show up at church on Sundays and so an hour of our life a week is the Jesus part and then we leave and the rest of our life is the us part. It just cannot be that way. We have to walk in Him. And Paul says that when we do that, we become planted in Him, we become rooted in Him, and we become established in our faith. Because we recognize the place where we are. I read that um, this word is sort of similar to something that goes on in Aboriginal tribes in Australia. 
in these tribes, they have their young men before they're actually accepted into the tribe as men do what's called a walkabout. Anybody ever heard of walkabout? And what they'll do is they'll go on foot by themselves, unaccompanied, unarmed, into the outback, and they will familiarize themselves with the outback. And in doing that, they are armed for survival. They are armed with what they need to exist as men in this environment where they've been placed. We have to kind of do our walkabout in Christ. We have to understand all the ins and outs of being a believer in Christ. And that's going to happen by spending time with Him, by thinking about the truth, by spending time with other believers. Whatever it takes, we have to become native to Christ. He has to be our home. Paul goes on, and he says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That means literally, see to it no one kidnaps you. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not to Christ. When he says be kidnapped by philosophy, here's what he's saying. If you'll turn on your television, and you'll flip through, at any given moment, you might run across 15, 20 preachers. And of those 15, 20 preachers, you might hear two or three of them telling you the gospel truth. If you're, if you're lucky, you know. And what Paul's saying is that there is no shortcut to becoming at home in Christ. The gospel is not a jingle. The gospel cannot be and will not be reduced to a pithy statement that we can rattle off to make us feel like we know something when we don't. There's a certain kind of bad person who's always looking for a cute way to boil truth down into something that they can memorize or spout off in order to maybe win an argument or make somebody else look foolish. The gospel will not be reduced to that form. So when we find ourselves relying on that form of truth, we can trust that we've probably been kidnapped by philosophy in that moment. So we have to become native to the gospel. We have to become familiar enough with the gospel that we understand it and can discern when we're being lied to or when the way someone speaks is grabbing our attention more than the words someone speaks. Don't be kidnapped by philosophy. And Paul's not being anti-academia here. Paul studied at the finest institution, if you will, that was available to him. He spent his time with Gamaliel, who was the leading teacher of the Jewish law. I mean, he got what would be the highest level of education in his day, just like going to an Ivy League school right now. So he believed in academics. Here's what he didn't believe in. He didn't believe in exalting any authority above that of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much someone knows. It doesn't matter how cute a phrase they can say. What matters is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe as Christians that the truth came in the form of a person. Not in the form of clever arguments or anecdotes. Jesus Christ is the truth, and He is the basis for all our knowledge in Him. So don't be kidnapped by philosophy. 
And, and here's the specific philosophy that Paul wanted to discount in this case. Here's what he says. He says, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So here's what that means. If in Christ, everything that is God dwells in flesh, that means that once and for all, Jesus Christ put to an end every dichotomy of heaven and earth. So the fact is that in Jesus, heaven and earth come clashing together in one person so that he is the representation of God on earth. The wall between heaven and earth has been finally destroyed by Jesus Christ. Also, the wall between God and man has been finally destroyed in Christ. Also, the wall between classes of people, races of people, gender, religions, have all been destroyed in Christ and all have been made one by the blood of His cross. So when we think about the idea that something on earth is bad while something in heaven is good, we're arguing against the gospel of Christ. God made us to be earthlings. He gave us bodies because He wanted us to have bodies. He gave us jobs because He wanted us to have jobs. And going to work and digging a ditch is just as spiritual as showing up to work and preaching a sermon. We do everything we do to the glory of God. He is the Lord of every moment of our lives, or He's the Lord of none of our lives. He will not take a disjointed life. It's all or nothing. I gave this example to the youth this week when we were talking. That some of us have made our lives into a chest of drawers. And in that chest of drawers, there are all these different drawers. And we've decided that the drawer that's marked Sunday morning church has Jesus inside of there. That's his drawer. And the drawer that's marked Sunday school, that's got Jesus too. And Wednesday night church, that's got Jesus. But then we've got another drawer, family, politics, business, sports, entertain. We've got all these different drawers. And they've all got different words on them as to who's in charge in that drawer. Some of you might have a business life and a religious life. Some of you might have a family life and a political life. That must not be. Jesus Christ doesn't want to write his name on more of those drawers. He wants to throw the dresser out of the house. Because he is Lord of all of it. In Christ, there can be no categories of life. But life is one thing, one harmonious thing that has been presented to him as a whole or not at all. He won't, he won't, take, he won't take this part of it. Just like this part of me wasn't going to fall off that log. I mean, I was either getting across it or I was not getting across it. You with me? There's no part. He goes on and he says, in him you were circumcised. This is, this is Paul explaining why this is true. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then he compares circumcision to baptism. He says, you have been raised, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what happens is this. When we come to Christ, we die. There is no us left except the us that has been made alive by Christ. And our life is an ongoing process of continuing to put to death all the remnants of our old life. 
So we're continually either killing sin, as John Owen said, or it is continually killing us. We're continually stripping off the remnants of our old life, or it is continually quenching the Spirit in our new life. Always, consistently, 100% of the time, one of those two things is going on. And because we're filled with the Jesus who's filled with all of God, that means that we are, 100% of the time, living a new life created by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So just as Jesus came to represent God to us, we are full-time, 100% of the time, representatives of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Can you take a break? Here's what that means. That means there's nobody who is in Christ who has not been called to full-time ministry. We don't get the pass card that says, well, I'm not in ministry, so I'm not held to this standard. I lived a life of not being in full-time ministry for a long time, and God didn't give me any extra slack because that's where I was. So not only is it the kind of thing that says, hey, we've got to step up and live as ministers, it's also this. It's an empowerment to know that God can use every believer just as surely as he can use a church staff member. Hope you don't have to hear that, but that's the truth. When I was a high schooler, my dad and I didn't live together. I didn't get to see him that often. He really made a great effort, and he was an awesome dad to me. But because my parents were divorced, it's just the way it goes. You don't see somebody you don't live with as often as you see somebody you do live with. And, but you better believe that I knew wherever I went, I was representing my dad and my family. He instilled that in me from a very early age. And listen, if I was running around town with my hat on backwards, I was scared to death the whole time that somebody was going to tell my dad. And as soon as he saw me, man, he'd smack it around front ways real quick, you know. Or if I was smarting off to a teacher, somehow or another, my dad always found out. Always found out. And here's why it bothered him so bad. Because everything I did was a reflection of how he had raised me as a son. How he had formed me into a young man. How he had taught me to live. Every moment, every day, that was the case. And so he cared not just about how I acted at a family reunion, but he cared how I carried out my life on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment. And Jesus Christ cares about our lives in just that way. If we are in Christ, we ought to be reflecting a change. The power of the resurrection of Christ is at work in us. So we should be a right now reflection of the end of all things when God comes and reigns on earth forever. That's already happening in us. God's presence already abides in us. We are the intersection of heaven and earth. And people should be able to see that. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is not going to be demonstrated by stringent rules or by rote formulas but it's going to be demonstrated by the life of Christ pouring out of us at all times. It's so easy, so 
easy to draw a circle around the morality that we find it easy to keep. And because we're inside that circle, calling ourselves good. The truth is that our righteousness is found in our inclusion in Jesus Christ. That's all the righteousness that we have. And it doesn't come from the outside keeping rules that's going to seep into us. But it comes from Christ's righteousness in us, causing us to live a day-to-day life that reflects His goodness. All of our change comes from the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So here's the question that we have to ask. Are we in Christ? Are you in Christ? And here's just a few checks that can help you just inspect your heart, inspect your life, find out whether it is indeed true that you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you should find yourself to be more and more loving all the time. So are you growing in love? Are you developing in love? That's a new creation way of life. Love flowing out of us more and more. Number two, are you more and more forgiving every day of your life? Are you growing in the ability to immediately forgive others when they sin against you? When they do wrong towards you? I kind of failed that test a little bit yesterday because somebody, um, somebody cut me off at the gas station and then gave me a hand gesture to indicate that it was my fault they had cut me off. And I, I was not pleased with that circumstance. And the, the youth were kind of agging me on a little bit. And it was, it, was, it was a funny time. But man, we've got to be so familiar with Christ that we don't have to reach for a remote control to turn on the Jesus inside of us in that moment has to be automatic. And the more familiar with Him we are, the more automatic it will become. The third thing is this. We need to become more and more repulsed by our own sin and more and more gracious toward other people's sin. That's the result of being in Christ. We hate our sin deeply, but we're so gracious Toward others, And if that's not increasing in your life, you have to honestly ask the question, is Christ at work in your heart? Because that's what Christ creates. He creates repulsion toward our own sin and graciousness toward the sin of others. Finally, we have to ask ourselves, are we growing more and more desperate for Christ's presence in our life? Do you find that your hunger for Christ, your hunger for the things of the Spirit, your hunger for God, your hunger for fellowship with believers is increasing as you grow in Him? Because Jesus loves His church. Jesus loves His Father. Jesus loves His Father's ways. So if He is at work in us, if He is alive in us, it is inevitable that we will grow in those things. So if you find yourself not growing in these ways, I just want to encourage you to consider the possibility that you have not been made alive in Christ. Got to consider that. And if that's the case, the solution is very clear. Put your faith in Christ. 
And He will make you a new creation. He'll begin the process of forming you into the likeness of Himself. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray two things. I'm going to pray first that those who are in Christ would begin to reflect that newness more and more. And then I'm going to pray that if anybody is not in Christ, that your dead heart would be made alive and you would place your faith in Him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that because of Jesus' death on the cross, you hear our prayers. I pray that this morning, those who are believers would find themselves full of your Spirit. And that you would begin to work in them a deeper and deeper desire to walk in your ways. A deeper and deeper familiarity with who you are. And that you would push them towards rightness, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who may not be believers. I pray that you would open their hearts to understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. To believe that you died for them. To believe that your power raised Christ from the dead. And that this same power can reside in their hearts. Father, I pray that you would make their dead hearts alive by giving them the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. You're our only hope, Lord. So we trust in you. We give ourselves to you completely. Come, Lord. Come and help us to be who you've called us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.